It's one thing to throw our broken glass on the floor. We wonder why everyone walks away, because they don't want to cut their own feet. Mm -hmm. But when we can start to gather our broken pieces and start to make a new mosaic of ourselves, mm -hmm. I think people find that inspiring because they want to do that with their own brokenness. Welcome to The Legacy Project. My name is Jim Koppel, president of the Servant Ford Foundation. We're an organization committed to leadership development with a specific focus on service. This podcast and its related activities are about sharing the legacy we have inherited and discussing the legacy we still want to create. Legacy is more than cars, houses, boats, and material possessions that we want to leave to the next generation. Rather, legacy is about core values and beliefs that we inherited from a previous generation. They are the values that shaped us and defined us. Legacy is also about the values we develop or create that can be passed on or shared with the next generation. We will interview people from various backgrounds and walks of life. Some are famous, some, well, maybe not so famous, and others are simply our neighbors, our friends, people who live ordinary lives doing extraordinary things. Become part of this project by being intentional about legacy more than just memories, but principles that have guided our lives and shaped our decisions. What is the legacy you choose to create? That's what we want to discover. We're fortunate today to be able to interview and talk with Chris Jones about his legacy, the legacy he's inherited, and the legacy that he chooses or wants to leave behind. Uh, Chris, what are some of the most important influences in your life? Who influenced you? Uh, who are some of the people that guided your life or directed your life? Wow. You know, I think those that are closest to me have had the greatest impact. You know, I had a scoutmaster when I was a young boy recognize that I had, you know, potential to, to lead. I had an English teacher recognize as I struggled as a student in high school, as a freshman, she saw something in me I didn't, and she labeled me as something and I became what she labeled me hmm. and I'm really grateful for that. My dad was a great example, my mom, but I think the greatest influence so far was my son Mitchell who was sick and I had to learn how to cope with a lot of really tough stuff and the way he coped with the uncertainties of his life and prognosis really shaped me. That's interesting. So a child influenced and guided and shaped some of your core values? Completely, yeah. But what are some examples of that? You know, the courage to accept a difficult circumstance and just make the most of his life was so inspiring. You know, he didn't complain about uh, his circumstance. He just basically said, this is what I've got. I'm going to make the best mm -hmm. of it. Mitchell passed away. How old was he? He was just about, uh, he was 10 years old, turning mm -hmm. 11. Yeah, muscular dystrophy. Yep. And uh, that had an impact on your entire family, I'm sure. Shattered us. Shattered you. So some of those early influences in your life, how did that help you prepare for what you went through with Mitchell? That's a really great question. You know, I think anytime you're labeled in a positive manner, when, mm -hmm. when, a, when a mentor or somebody that has some influence over you can recognize that good within you, I think that just sort of fans a flame if we allow it. Um, I think my English teacher basically said, hey, you're good at articulating yourself. You can write. And I thought, I actually believed I had academic prowess after that. I've always heard that phrase, writing is closer to thinking than speaking. Mm -hmm. 
And so I began to realize I could think, I could process thoughts, and that really helped me cope with the difficulty of loss. I think where people get stuck in grief is they don't know how to process, think through, compartmentalize aspects of their grief, and so they just kind of spin. So as you came through, and probably still are, in the grieving situation or position, did you start writing more, or did you start communicating in different ways? as a result of that loss? Oh yeah, that writing was my therapy, 100%. Mm-hmm. As uh, my son was admitted to the hospital, I began to dip my toe in the water a bit more rigorously, and then and then after he passed, I just, the floodgates opened. Ordinarily, I'm pretty private, but I just started to write my thoughts and impressions and making sense of all that suffering, and it started to connect with people, and I just couldn't put it down. Did you share it? I did. How did you share it? Facebook. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a Facebook page. Originally, it was intended for immediate family. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the kind of guy that would go out and send an email saying, hey, woe is me. But I thought mm-hmm. if they could, if they were interested, they could visit the page and just get updates on what was happening. Mm-hmm. And as I began to become more soulful and reflective on that hardship, lots of people started to gather. At first, I think, to see the, the spectacle of it all. You know, how often do you see this candid and unflinching look at death and sitting on the edge of death with photographs and, you know, essays. But then people moved from, you know, morbid curiosity to kind of a deep sense of connection. Mm -hmm. Talk about the connection. I mean, was the response a reaction or hope he moves beyond this? Or was it empathy? Was it, uh, were they finding help from what you were saying? What was the response? Overwhelmingly. Uh, by the private messages I get from people and the comments they make on posts, uh-huh. uh, it was therapeutic for them. It, you know, it's it's one thing to throw our broken glass on the floor and we wonder why everyone walks away because they don't want to cut their own feet. Mm-hmm. But when we can start to gather our broken pieces and start to make a new mosaic of ourselves, mm-hmm. I think people find that inspiring because they want to do that with their own brokenness. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In that process, in terms of the responses, uh, you found yourself helping them. How did their responses help you? Funny enough, I wasn't so interested in them patting me on the back. Mm-hmm. I was so inspired by them writing me messages about their renewed faith or their making sense of their own struggle or their connection with family. And so mm-hmm. to see them heal themselves, mm-hmm. that was so healing for me. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to... Um, you're talking about your English teacher. I, I've always been struck, uh, and I guess the biblical metaphor is this of um, the transition of the biblical names from uh, Jacob to Israel into what the power of those transformations are. When somebody gives you a label or a title and then you become that, yeah. that has always been something in terms of how we relate to students or how we relate to our peers is through affirmation that people become the label and respond to that label. And so if you're constantly telling a kid you're stupid, they become stupid. And they begin to believe that about themselves. Uh, And just how important, I mean, that seemed to be important to you, the way you emphasized it, but say a little bit more about that. Oh, wow. That was really a defining moment in my entire like academic and life trajectory. When my English professor, Mrs. Osa was her name, recognized that in me and I began to just step into that space. I believed in myself in a way that I didn't I didn't have permission to earlier. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just transformative and long lasting. Uh, conversely, I've seen the opposite of that too, you know, working with really toxic people 
can yeah. also undermine those labels. But when you use that power of labeling mm -hmm. in a positive, constructive way, that's legitimate. Yeah. Uh, it's powerful. So core values, things that you believe in, that you inherited from teachers, coaches, parents, wherever, church, workplace, uh, a lot of us don't always think about what those are. They surface at various times and places. Have you given a lot of thought to core values? I have. Yeah? Yeah. What are some of those? Well, firstly, my faith is a central core value, mm -hmm. um, a belief that there's a higher being there to guide and direct my life. And sometimes he doesn't. He Sometimes he allows nature and life to happen, mm -hmm. but he always seems to give me the power to transcend that difficulty. And so faith is a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. Family is one of my central core values, second to, to God. Mm -hmm. uh, that includes my relationship with my wife and my kids. Um, education, you know, continual improvement and growth, those are all really important. So I seek after things that will build me because I want to turn around and use those to serve others. What do you do or are you intentional? Uh, those core values in terms of uh, your relationship to God, family, education, those principles, how do you transmit those to the next generation, to your children or to those around you? Well, you know, I have a son, my oldest son, uh, he's into cinematography, and uh, I, you know, at first he would tell me, hey, I want to build all these cool videos, and they were kind of carbon copies of everyone else's work, and I would challenge him to dig deep and find the storyteller within himself, and I couldn't just tell him what to do. He had to kind of figure it out, and so one of the ways I try to transfer my values is teaching my kids how to think, how to learn, how to observe. I think one of the most inspirational recommendations by one of my professors in college in English when I was studying English, he said, if you want to write well, read carefully. And I've taken that, that philosophy into every aspect of my life. To all my employees that are designers and video editors, I'm, if you want to be good at that, study what other people do really well. And I think that's just sort of transformational philosophy. You're a storyteller. I think so. Yeah, I believe in terms of what you do work-wise and then also different projects, which we'll get to in a few seconds, storytelling is important. It is. Why is storytelling so important? That is the invisible scaffolding of humanity, is our stories. It's our theologies wrapped up in story. It's how we conduct our life, politics. It's all story. And I just think we connect with stories on a fundamental level. Mm -hmm. What is a story? I mean, is it is it is it always personal? Is it somebody else's story that you tell? Uh, when I first met you, I thought of actually a, a book written by Robert Coles, who is a, a psychiatrist at Harvard University, who studied children going through trauma, mm -hmm. and that the role of story, uh, getting them to tell the story and to redefine their future through story, uh, that it was a fundamental part of their healing. Is that part of what you're looking to do in telling story? Absolutely. Overwhelmingly, yes. You know, I've gone to grief conferences, for example, where I would see people that have, were still at day one, but 40 years later. Because mm -hmm. the stories they told themselves weren't constructive in, in matters of hardship. You mm -hmm. know, we can tell a story where we circle this big boulder for the rest of our lives, or we can learn to put that boulder on our back and move forward. And I just think the stories we tell ourselves move us forward, hold us back, or send us backwards. Mm -hmm. So the stories that you've experienced and that you currently tell, how do you think those are going to shape the future stories? 
I think stories are contagious. I think once we begin to write a script mm-hmm. or a narrative in our own life experience, we tend to continue down that path. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as my stories, one, are authentic and true, authentic to me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to just be like water, you know, down a ravine, and they just kind of get deeper and deeper and, and more entrenched in our lives. So would you say that in part of the legacy that you want to leave... Would it be safe to say that what you're looking to do is to help people find their story? Yeah. Not necessarily them embracing your core values, but to discover the values within themselves and then to figure out a way to live by them? And it'll always be a narrative? 100%. Uh-huh. I think if you look at the vast majority of my writings on my blog, for example, mm-hmm. it's really not about a little boy who experienced difficulty, even though that's part of the subtext, but mm-hmm. it's really about a deeper principle. Every one of them I try to, you know, I'll explain a little part of his story and then step back and extract meaning and purpose from that, and mm-hmm. everyone else is able to then grab onto those ideas and apply it to themselves. Mm-hmm. I see it overwhelmingly. So is it something you can teach? I want to teach it. Um, I'm still learning it, I think. You know, I I see a lot of people uh, sharing destructive stories or non-helpful stories that alienate them, and they wonder why people separate. And I think it's, you know, when we start to draw focus on life is hard for me, everyone feel bad for me, nobody's really interested in that because we've all got hard stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's what do we do with the tough stuff? How do we build those broken pieces into something new and beautiful? And I think that's what people are are really drawn to. So if people want to share their struggle and their discoveries, I think it's best done through a lens of construction. Mm -hmm. What am I doing with this stuff rather than look at all this broken stuff? I'm struck recently by a book written by David Brooks, a New York Times columnist. It's called The Second Mountain, and it's the quest for a joyful life, basically, or moral joy, the joy of morality. What is joy for you? I think joy for me is the intersection of what I do and what I value. Mm -hmm. To me, I find the deepest joy when I'm in harmony with what I value Mm and I'm doing something about it. So you sort of moved on. I mean, one of the theses of Brooks's book is that we, we sort of live to establish ourselves professionally, to establish ourselves in our family, all the kind of structures or symbols of what is considered a successful life. And we look at these uh, sort of merit badges of accomplishment. And then a crisis hits. All of us have a crisis <laughs> um, at some point. And a crisis hits and we sink into the valley and what is exciting is when people discover the second mountain, which Brooks says is when you discover living for others versus just living for yourself, and that that makes a huge difference. Was there a transition for you in any way, shape, or form after the passing of Mitchell, going through the valley of death and despair, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, to find that second mountain where you're giving something back? I love that question. I th- I think for as long as I've been a functional professional, I've mm-hmm. always tried to live for others, but, but I think hardship tends to amplify who you are. Mm-hmm. And I, f- I feel like that's what's happened uh, since I, l- I lost my son. Yes, I step more into that space. I feel deeply, I care deeply for the, the readers of my particular blog that mm-hmm. I care about their wellness and their connection. Mm-hmm. And and I'm motivated solely to share things that not only help me heal, but help others. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, th- I think that hardship has definitely, as you describe it, that second mountain, mm-hmm. living for others has certainly become more prominent since my yeah. son's passing. 
What is the name of your blog, in case some of the least listeners would like to find it? Mitchell's Journey. Mitchell's Journey. Okay, and they can just search that now. Google it, it's the top thing they'll see. Yeah. Okay, Yeah. great. We're talking with Chris Jones, who is a social entrepreneur. He's uh, sharing with us his legacy, the things that have influenced us. He has a new game out and a Kickstarter project called Spark. Explain the game. It, well, it all started when my kids were little. Mm-hmm. I would gather them at bed, and I would turn on uh, turn on soundtracks and play music in the background, and I'd begin to imagine stories with them uh, based on the mood and tone of the music. And as the music would change, so the story would. And it was magical. You know, and with music at your back, the pictures and the feelings we have, the pictures we create in our minds are so vivid. It was as though I'd unzip the ceiling and the walls would fall to the earth and these kids would just be transported. And I did it with adults. I did it with my employees and, and you know teenagers and found that it was universal, that when music is applied to storytelling with a few prompts, uh, magic happens. We're all born storytellers. And so the game is basically a combination of uh, prompt cards, story prompt cards. Mm-hmm. So there's a plot card where they'll recommend a plot. There'll be some objects and some various twists. And with that combined with music, it just creates an amazing experience for everybody. I've never seen anybody not be able to tell a story. And they might mm-hmm. stumble on the first, but once they try it once, they realize that second turn, they can't wait to do it because they realize how easy it is. So it could be used for any age, generation, Absolutely. any demographic? You know, I've seen this. Um, it's fun on an entertainment level. Mm-hmm. But I've also done it with families where, you know, you've got grandma and grandpa sitting on the couch and all the grandkids are gathered around and we'd play music and we'd have a prompt saying, tell us about your, where you first found courage with music at their back and all the kids are listening. And grandma and grandpa become next level storytellers because music, it's almost like we're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And, and it just permanently ingrains in these kids as though they watched one of their favorite films. Hearing a story about how grandma and grandpa found courage, for example. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. And so it's a Kickstarter campaign. What would they look for if they were searching for the Kickstarter Spark campaign? Spark the magic of storytelling. Spark the magic of storytelling. Let me ask you this, switching a bit. I find the Legacy Project, uh, what prompted our moving into exploring this and our writing and our blog and all of the different pieces of this was uh, that in my generation, the baby boomers, we are often measured by the houses we own, the boats we own, the cars we drive, and the material possessions. And is that really what we're trying to leave behind? Instead, getting people focused on thinking about the things that influence them, shape them, define them, events in their lives, relationships that they built. What is it that really defines them out of that legacy, not the cars or the possessions they have or don't have? I often find that there are symbols Uh, that I've carried from my childhood. I often illustrate this. When I was 15 and I decided to become a follower of Jesus, a woman in my church gave me, and it was almost prophetic, she gave me a little icon of a picture of Jesus standing behind a young man at the wheel of a ship. And it's called Jesus the Pilot. That icon I've carried with me ever since I was 15 years old. And it's a prompt about commitments I made when I was 15. Wherever I am, I don't care if it's in East Africa, if it's in a refugee camp, if it's working in a gang-involved neighborhood in Chicago, wherever it might be, I'm reminded of that almost daily. Do you have symbols like that? Boy, that's a great question. 
I don't know. I don't know that I carry physical symbols. Um, but I well, I think maybe in the last several years, when, for example, when Mitchell was uh, in the cardiac intensive care unit, mm-hmm. we went down into the gift shop to find something that kind of eases heart. My wife found a little teddy bear or whatever, and, and I found a, a little coin that was etched that said gratitude. And, you know, of all times to not be grateful, probably that was it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're just, your son's, you're told your son has days to live. What what could you possibly be grateful for? But that's, that sunk so deeply into my heart. Because for my son anyway, it was as though he never counted the glass half empty, half full. He was just glad something was in it. Mm. And so, you know, all of a sudden, all these learnings, learnings for my son kind of crystallized into that little silver coin. And so, yeah, I think that, Perhaps that that symbol is etched into my heart, mm-hmm. gratitude, because you know at the end of the day, you can all find something yeah. to be grateful for. I borrow this question from the movie Leap Year, which was a romantic comedy that took place in Ireland. But the question that was asked by a suitor of uh, the young woman was that if your house caught on fire, what would you grab besides parents and pets or family or children? Uh, what's the one thing you would grab if your house was on fire? Twenty years ago, I would have said photo albums, mm-hmm. but now I'd say hard drives. Hard drives, because yeah. <laughs> they, they got all my photos, videos, audio. Yeah, yeah. yeah you grab that. Yeah, grab my memories. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Chris, what do you want people to remember you by, or for? Oh. You're young, and I, well, I'm discovering in this process, people don't haven't thought a lot about that. Well, I guess I I don't really. Maybe this sounds antithetical or something, but I don't, I don't care that they remember me. Mm-hmm. I care that they remember the lessons, the ideas, that they implement it, because I'm going to vanish in the sands of time. I guess it's the echo of ideas and values that get passed on. If something I share, for example, is absorbed by somebody and it becomes real and tangible in somebody else's life mm-hmm. for their betterment, that's all I really care about. Mm-hmm. So, and from a broader cultural context, and you know, let me say this: uh, this podcast is uh, is produced by Servant Forge, and uh, where we really focus in Servant Forge on creating a culture of service and leadership in all professions, in all areas, and that in different areas of our lives, we are all leaders, mm-hmm. and what it means to to translate that into service. I guess in terms of the the values that you leave behind. I think you used the phrase echo, which is a good phrase that survives or lasts. What do you hope for, for this generation and the next generation? Uh, What do you hope for them? I hope the rising generation, generations to come, will Mm -hmm. learn that, one, we're not going to be insulated from hardship, that life at some point will break us. And we are capable of transcending that brokenness and gathering those broken pieces and creating a new mosaic of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, and particularly when we do that with an eye of faith, looking for heaven's help, for example, Mm -hmm. in putting my life back together and making sense of things, that we become something more beautiful and our lives become Mm -hmm. more beautiful than had that hard thing never happened. And I think that uh, just to, to look forward with kind of an eye of faith and recognize that hard things are gonna happen but we'll we'll live another day. Mm-hmm. Things will work out. Besides your children, do you have other people that you're mentoring? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, I guess in a way, uh, the blog itself is a long-form conversation with mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people that on different levels are reaching out, you know, and asking me questions about something. And so that's a somewhat distant type of mentorship. And then I also work with people one-on-one to help them mm-hmm. start their business, give them, you know, c- coaching and advice. You're transmitting your values through those vehicles, or through yeah. those places. Yeah. Chris, thank you. Thanks for having me. For uh, sharing your ideas, your thoughts. You are strong with language. Your English teacher was right (laughs) Uh, in terms of uh, how you communicate and the legacy you want to leave behind. We've been talking with Chris Jones, a social entrepreneur who has been reflecting on his own legacy, legacy that he inherited and the legacy that he wants to leave behind. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. To find out more information about this conversation and other Legacy Podcast episodes, go to ServantForge.org. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and consider leaving us a review. We want to hear from you. We want to get your ideas and your opinions. I have a new book that corresponds with a Legacy Project titled The Seeker, Bring Me the Horizon. You can find a copy of it on Amazon or your preferred book distributor. The book corresponds closely with these podcasts. The podcast episode was produced by Matt Erickson and edited by Carissa Erickson. The music is by David Hyde. Please look for a new episode of our podcast coming out soon. Remember, you have inherited a great legacy. You have an opportunity to create a great legacy. Engage your past to build a future.